Ephesians 1 tonight. We're going to be out of Galatians. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm, I'm taking a break kind of because my heart's kind of right here tonight. Uh, if, if, if you'll let me kind of preach right here, just based on kind of where we're at in our church right now. And I want to preach a, a, preach a thought tonight on the prayer ministry, the prayer ministry of the Christian. The prayer ministry of the Christian. Let me read some verses to you, and we're going to jump right in, okay? Verse number 16 of Ephesians 1 says this, Cease not to give thanks. Uh, well, let me start at verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the, to, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's pray. We'll get started. Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. God, I pray, Lord, you would help, help set my mind right down here in this scripture tonight. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help us to, Lord, hear your word, heed your word, obey your word. God, thank you for the good fellowship so far, the good, the good singing. But God, I pray, Lord, that we would understand how important it is, this idea of being able to pray, the ministry of prayer that we have as a church. Please help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I wonder if you could take a moment and just think of right now about a Christian who has made a great impact on your life. What, what was it about them that made an impact on you? Was it their faith, their dedication, their love for the Lord? You know, I, 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 for me, I think probably one of the men who's made the greatest impact on my life has probably been my pastor. Uh, he has been a man who has invested a lot of time in me and helped me along in my, in my, my early days as being a, a younger Christian. And once I surrendered to priest, he kind of helped develop me. And man, he is, he, is a, he is a man who's made a great investment in my life. And I find myself quite often, I love my pastor. I defend him. I don't, I don't deal much with people who criticize him. I love him very much. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, he is a man who's made a great impact on my life. And I, and I wonder sometimes, who, well, let me, my question is, who is that person for you? Well, from when I look here in the book of Ephesians, I, I realize that the people and the church here in the, in the city in Ephesus have made a great impact on Paul. Paul had spent about two years of his life working and serving with the church in Ephesus. But what Paul tells you and I right here in verse number 15 is that it was not only what Paul knew about the people that made him, them so special to him, it was also what he heard about the people as well. And the reputation of the church that continued to have a great impact on his life. And it was because of this, 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 the, the church and the impact they made on Paul's life Paul found himself constantly wanting to pray for this church. You know, I think prayer is something that all of us would say is something we should do regularly. But I think in the same sentence, I think you and I would also all agree that it's something that you and I just don't do enough. 
when we fail to pray for others, that we find ourselves in a problem, especially inside of our church. You know, we have a, we, we, I'm thinking tonight as Paul, who was the, the really kind of the, the founder of this church, he was the one who kind of helped get this church started. I think a lot of like Paul here in this, as almost like the pastor of the church at Ephesus, although he wasn't, he, 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 but Paul had a lot of hands in this church, but Paul also sees himself as, as, a, as, a, as a person who has great, had great influence on this church. And because of Paul's love for this church, he finds himself constantly praying for this church. Well, inside of our own church, can I just say, when you and I find ourselves, uh, when you and I find ourselves um, not praying regularly enough for the people in our church, then you and I are going to find that it's much easier to be apathetic toward people in our church, irritated at people in our church, impatient with people in our church, offended by people in our church, and then fussing with one another in our church. False, false can cause our anger or displeasure to fester and fume when you and I are not praying like we should for one another. Now, on the other hand, when you and I pray for one another, it helps you and I to be more patient with one another. It's hard, it's hard to have an issue with somebody that you're praying for day by day. It also yields other benefits for the person you're praying for for themselves, including maybe healing or knowing God's will or being prepared for Christ's second coming. Now, in these verses that I've read to you tonight, Paul gives you and I some insight in how you and I should pray for one another as Christians and what you and I should desire for them as well. What we desire for other Christians should be the desire for ourselves as well. And Paul here kind of talks about really a twofold, uh, twofold impact that this church had in the life of Paul. And what I want to do tonight, my hope tonight, is to share this with you and help you and I understand how wonderful it is that you and I have the ability to pray for one another and what that should mean as you and I take up the ministry of prayer for one another. But let me show you the twofold impact that Paul had with this church of Ephesus. First of all, can I just stop and say this? The first thing I see is that really the, the, as I find Paul, when it came to, his, to this church at Ephesus, Paul was a thankful man. Paul was a thankful man for this church at Ephesus. He was grateful for the lives of these, these Christians. Now, he, 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 did, he, he was not the kind who would take them for granted. When Paul's mind wandered toward, the, the, toward this church and, or with some news of his ears, uh, uh, to some, new, some news of this church reached his ears, his heart swelled with thankfulness for the, for, the, for, the, for the church at Ephesus. He had an attitude of gratitude for these folks. That's what he says in verse verse number 16 after he says, after I've heard of your faith in verse 15 and your love to the saints in verse 15, he says this, I cease not to give thanks for you. Let me ask you a question. Are you grateful for other people? Are you grateful for your spouse? Are you grateful for your children, for your boss, for your coworkers? How, how grateful are you for those that you get an opportunity to go to church and to worship God with? How grateful are you for those that you get to spend time in fellowship with on a week by week, by week basis? And then let me ask, how often do you express that gratitude then with words of thanks? Grat gratitude is an important need both in the church and in our home uh, and in this day as well. 
Gratefulness is communicating to other people in a specific way that they have blessed or in a specific way that they have benefited your life and you're looking for a way to honor that individual. When you and I are genuinely grateful, we will have an attitude of indebtedness and be motivated to sufficiently express that attitude. A grateful spirit recognizes that without God, we are nothing. And without God putting people into our lives to help us, like parents or, or coaches or pastors or friends or family or teachers or youth pastors or whatever, you and I would remain as nothing. Why in the world then would you and I not want to be grateful toward other people? Too often we've let our pride swell in our heart and we begin, begin, begin to think that somehow we deserve every good thing that we have in our life. Unthankful people tend to gripe a lot. Griping is an outward indication many times of an ungrateful heart. God help you and I to remove the callousness off our heart and to be tender to the reality of the gratefulness that we need to live in. We ought to be grateful and thankful people. Can I just say, you know, as I've studied my Bible, I learned that there's really, you know, part of the maturity in the faith is growing in our faith. Part of that maturity is learning how to be grateful. And, you know, there's really about three different ways as we grow, as we grow in our faith. There should be some, as we mature, there's really three different ways that you and I can show our gratefulness or three different levels of gratefulness. Like level one, for instance. Level one gratefulness is just being grateful when you are personally blessed. You know, when, some, when, when, when something good happens in your life, when, when, when God brings a friend by, when God allows something positive to happen in your life, when all that happens, when you and I see God's hand in our life, then that moment of that level one gratefulness is then turned around and saying, thank you to God for him blessing us and being grateful to God. You know, over there in First, in, in first Timothy, as Paul begins to describe the last days, you know, he talks about how all the terrible days, how terrible it's gonna be in the last days. But one of the markers of the last days is that people are going to be unthankful. I mean, can I tell you, we live in an unthankful world. We live in a world today where people, people are, people are living in a world where they think that they deserve and somebody ought to hand out something to them, that they deserve all the creature comforts and they deserve this and they deserve that. And when they get it, there's no thanks involved with that. They simply, they simply have demanded and gotten their demands and people are unthankful. Well, can I just say the whole world might be unthankful. The whole world around me might decide, might decide that they want to live in a, in a, in a, in a griping and a complaining way, but that doesn't mean that I have to learn to be unthankful. I, there ought to be times in my life where I just look toward heaven and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for how good you've been. I want to thank you for my wife. I want to thank you for my family. I want to thank you for my church. I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the roof. I want to thank you. And we just don't ever sit, stop and say, Lord, thank you. And that shows our immaturity. Level one, just being grateful for what you have. Level being grateful for when you're blessed. <clears throat> but I like this level too. And that's being grateful or thankful for the hope of the blessing to come. You know, that, that's the idea. Of, that, that's, where, that's where faith and hope meet for you and me. And that's when we're looking forward toward the victory before it's ever happened. Can I tell you, can I give you a good example of that? Go all the way back in your Old Testament. Find yourself in there in the book of Joshua, right there before the city called Jericho. And God had laid out the plan, had he not? He said, here's the deal. You're not going to lift a sword. You're not going to lift a spear. I'm going to give you the victory, but here's how you're going to do it. Every day for six days, you're going to walk around that city just once a day. 
Not going to say a word. Just be quiet and just walk around. And then on that seventh day, here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk around it seven times quietly, just without saying a word. And once you get around that seventh time, then stop, lift up your horns, lift up your voice, and shout, and then I'll give you the victory. They had to praise God for the victory before it ever even came. Friend, that, that ought to be the attitude you and I have. Yes, friend, I know that times get tough. Yes, friend, I know that days get dark. Yes, friend, I know that there are trials we all must face. But can I tell you, even through the middle of the storm, there's a victory down the road. And you and I can ought to be able to thank God and say, God, hey, I don't see it today, but God, I want to tell you, thank you for being here with me. Thank you. Thank you for, 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 for walking with me. And thank you for the victory that's to come. Oh, friend, that's gratefulness. Level number two. Level number three, as we mature in our gratefulness, is being grateful even in the middle of a trial. Oh, man, Daniel chapter six, we see that as Daniel, that great, that great prophet, as Daniel who was told that he was no longer allowed to pray. And if he prayed, he'd find himself in a den of lions that would, that would destroy his life. But I like Daniel because Daniel said, well, I guess I'll just go up to my room and pray about it for a while. And Daniel headed up to his room and he got to that room and he opened his window and faced it toward Jerusalem and began to pray once again. And exactly what he was promised was going to happen is exactly what happened. And Daniel found himself in the lion's den facing death. And yet what did he do? He lifted his head toward heaven and began to pray and just trust God. Even in the middle of a trial like that. I can just be honest with you. I've never had to face a trial like Daniel. I've never had to endure a storm like Job. But both of those men said, Lord, what, what, did, what did Job say? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, God has been so good to me. God, if, if, I, if, I, if I had the ability, if my, my poor, terrible, finite mind could sit down and try to remember every good thing God's done for me, I don't have enough space in my notebooks to write it all down. I don't have enough ink in my pen to be able to write it all down. God has blessed me and blessed me and blessed me and blessed me. So even in the middle of the deepest, darkest tragedy of my life, I can still find reasons to be thankful. I can still look to heaven and say, God, I just want to thank you because you were with me last time I had to go through something. So I know you'll be with me right here in the middle of this as well. And that's being grateful even during a trial. Man, Paul, Paul was a man who was thankful. He was thankful for this church. He was thankful for their, their testimony. He was thankful for their love. He was thankful for all that. But I like this. Paul was not only thankful for his church. Are you thankful for your church? Paul was thankful for his church. But I like this. Paul was prayerful for his church. He was prayerful for this church. Because he said right there, and laying into verse number 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul was so thankful that these folks were saved, but he also was thankful that the love of Christ was demonstrated in their, in their life. And his gratefulness for them moved him to pray for them. That word in, mentioned in verse 15 where it, where it says, <clears throat> the word mentioned you and I find right there in verse number, six, in verse number 16, it means to call, to call to mind or memory. 
You know, call it, that, that, I give that idea, that gives me the idea that as Paul was sitting there and as he hit his knees to pray for this church at Ephesus, in his mind he recalled faces and he recalled names of people that he knew in that church. And he began to cry out by name for people there in that church. You know, I like that idea. Calling out someone's name or just remembering them in your mind will do wonders for that person. There's a, there's a, the, 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 Paul then in these next few verses, he really kind of begins to go down and gives you and I prayer principles for how you and I can pray for one another effectively and for ourselves as well. I know I like this. It's a, it's, 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 it's a nice prayer list, if I can say. And listen, I, I'm going to give these to you the best I can. And I would encourage you, man, by day, by name, let's pray these things for one another. And if you don't want to pray for anybody else, pray them for me. Because I need them more than anybody else. But let me show you what he prayed specifically for this church. As, as Paul understood his prayer ministry for this church. Here's what he, the first thing I see this is this. That he prayed that this church would have insight and wisdom. Look at verse number 17. The first part it says this. That the, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. Of wisdom. Now God gives you us, God gives to you and I so many things to bless our life and to help us live. You know, we, we, there, there's many of them that we have discussed time and time again. But can I just say, the one thing that we desperately need is we need wisdom. And Paul prayed, Paul prayed specifically that this church would have wisdom. And because Paul understood that this church for it to survive in the day and age that it, was, that it, that it lived in, it was going to have to have wisdom for the spiritual battles that came so they could enjoy victory amongst this pagan crowd here at Ephesus. Paul knew they were going to need wisdom. Jesus knew we were going to need wisdom. Jesus himself understood that for his church to be able to, to, to thrive and survive, that you and I were going to have to have wisdom. Matthew 10, before Jesus sends out his disciples there to go out and to go before him and, 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 share, and share the message that he had given to them, here's what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of the wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Boy, that was Jesus' prayer, is that you and I would have the wisdom that we would be wise as serpents. And I like that second part, as harmless as doves. Not going out to, not going out to, to pick a fight, not going out to try, to try to knock somebody out in the second round with our gospel, but just simply to have the compassion and the wisdom to change the world with the gospel message. You know, you and I, can I just say, we desperately need wisdom. And listen, I don't need wisdom. I don't need wisdom from, from I, what I, the wisdom I need is I need the wisdom from the Lord on how to, how to live the life I'm supposed to have. Listen, I'm, I'm, I thank God. There are, there are men I listen to. There are books I read. And I thank God for the influence of all those things. But the surpassing wisdom I have to have is the wisdom that God gives to you and I when you and I seek wisdom from Him. Oh, friend, I, 
I like that, I like that James 1, 5. You probably know that verse where James looked at that church right there and he says this. If any of you lack wisdom, he doesn't say, like, go to the library and get a book. Hey, he doesn't say, go pick up, get, pick up, go, go, go pull up your YouTube and find this over here. He says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Oh, friend, we need wisdom. You and I ought to desire the wisdom of God beyond anything that you and I could ever have in our life. I like this old story. There was an old philosopher. His name was Socrates. And a man came to him and he said, listen, Socrates, I want wisdom. Tell me how I can have wisdom. So Socrates didn't say a word. He just walked that man down to the seashore, walked that man out in the sea. And he said, and, and, and without saying a word, he pushed that man underneath the water and left him there for a moment and then pulled him up and then pushed him down again and then pulled him up. And he did it four times. And he finally pulled him up and he looked at him and said, when you want wisdom like you want air, then you'll have wisdom. Oh, friend, can I just say, that's the way you and I ought to desire the wisdom of God. Hey, I ought to, I ought to seek God's face. Hey, I ought to be begging God. I ought to day by day say, Lord, I can't walk. I can't do this. I don't know which way I'm supposed to go. Hey, I need your wisdom. And when it comes to our church family, the one thing we ought to pray for day by day is that we have wisdom, that this church has wisdom, that you individually have wisdom, that your pastor has some wisdom. Our prayer, our prayer list for our church ought to be that you and I have wisdom from God. Oh, friend, he said, he, said, he, he said the first thing is that he prayed that they would have insight and they would have wisdom. But I like this. His second thing he prayed for is he prayed that they would have the intimacy of, and the, of the knowledge of the Lord as well. Because he goes on in verse 17, he says this. After he says, you in the spirit of wisdom, and he says this, and revelation in the knowledge of of him. You know, that word knowledge <clears throat> that you see there, it refer it kind of, it, mean, it refers to the exact or the complete or the spiritual in, experiential knowledge, not just the abstract knowledge of God. You know what that means is this, we live in a we live in a world today that is very high on conversation. And we speak much in theory. We like to sit around and, and debate topics and debate ideals. And we, have a, we, we spend a lot of conversation. But our conversation is simply done in theory. And it's not in true knowledge of anything. Can I tell you, a lot of churches today, they sit, they, sit, they, sit, they sit in their buildings and they have their programs and they have their ideas and they say, this is what we think God is. Let me tell you about this theory I've heard about God. Let's argue this philosophical point over here. Let's talk about this theory right here. And they spend an awful lot of time speaking in theory and idea and, understand, and wonder and yet they have no true knowledge of who God is. Oh, friend, you and I ought to pray for one another that what you and I know is that we know who God is, that we have knowledge of who He really is, that we've been able to experience who He is, that we know Him completely, that we know that, 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 we, that we know His voice, that we felt His touch, that we've seen His presence, that we, we don't just speak about some idea of some far-off deity somewhere. Oh, no, friend, that we speak about something we actually know. Hey, the, the friend, I want to remind you, the great call of the church is that you and I witness and save this lost and dying world. But how can we lead somebody to, somebody to water that you and I have no desire to drink from? How can we tell anybody about a Savior that you and I don't really know? How can we tell somebody about a touch from heaven that you and I have never wanted to experience? How can we do that? The only way we can do that is by knowing Him and really knowing Him.
And we ought to pray for one another that we know who he is. Well, I think about Job. One of my, it's my favorite verse in the book of Job. How good Job was. Man, Job was a good man, a perfect man, an upright man. But you know the whole story of Job. How Job was sent through all those trials and heartaches. And at the end of that, of that, whole, that whole book of Job, Job 42.5, here's what Job says. I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Job said, I've heard about you. Oh, I've heard stories. Oh, I've heard about how good you are. Oh, I've heard all those things. But Lord, now I know who you are. Boy, I'm, I, I, I've talked to preachers here lately. And man, listen, I know it's on live stream. They're probably all getting mad at me. They're my friends, I love y'all, but don't get mad at me. But man, can I tell you something? I've talked to preachers the, the past several weeks. And, 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 and they talk about how things just seem so, 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 so rough in this day and age. And they talk about this, this great gap between small churches and large churches. And how, oh, this small church over here, and, 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 and it's just so hard to grow a church. And we just speak like God has no longer got this ability to work in this world anymore. Like God, that, that God that my grandparents knew and my great grandparents knew, the God that worked in, in, in the God that worked in, during the during the Great Awakening, the God that worked during that Great Welsh Revival, the God that worked in Josiah's day and Paul's day, that that God has somehow has no ability to do. And I'll tell you what the great problem is: we just want to talk about the 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 idea of what God is. We want to say, "Oh, I remember how God used to be. Oh, I remember how God used to work. Oh, I remember the tears on the." altar there used to be because we like to speak about the idea. Oh, but friend, we don't want to get on our knees before God and, and, cry, and cry out tears to heaven and beg God and fast and weep and ask God to move and ask God to save and ask God to work because we don't really want to know like they used to know. I don't want to be theoretical. I don't want to speak from a place of knowledge. I want to speak from a place where I say I know God can do. I've seen God work. And we ought to pray for one another. <laughs> if you want to pray, listen, pray for me. Pray for me that, 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 that in my life that there will be a, an intimate knowledge of the Lord. The prayer ministry of the Christian. Oh, we ought to pray. We ought to pray for one another that we'll have wisdom. We ought to pray that we'll have an intimate knowledge of the Lord. But can I just say this? We ought to pray that we'll have insight about the being, about, about the inheritance of the Lord as well. Verse number 18, it says this, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Oh, friend, <laughs> you know, we sing that song. I like that good song. There's coming a day when no heartaches will come. No more clouds in the sky and no more tears to dim the eye. And I'm looking forward to that good day, friend. But can I tell you something? I'm looking forward to that good day. But there's also a part of that day that we really don't seem to understand too well. And that's the day we stand before God. And he looks at you and I and he judges not my, not my salvation. I took care of that a long time ago at Calvary. But he does judge my service. And what I got to look at him and say, and he takes all the work I've done or I haven't done, or the work I did in the hopes that, that somebody would come pat me on the back and say, I sure am proud of what you're doing. And it all was judged before God. 
Friend, there's an inheritance day coming for the child of God. I'm looking forward to it, sort of. I'm pretty, can I be honest with you, that when I think about it, I get kind of nervous about it because I don't think I've done enough. You know, I think about, I've heard stories about great preachers, men like Curtis Hudson. He was, he was the editor of the Sword of the Lord for a long time. I, I, his son, I like his son, he's one of my favorite preachers. I like to hear him preach. <clears throat> but uh, his son was telling the story about his daddy who was passing away. And he was talking to another preacher, his name was Bobby Robertson. And, uh, and here this man he is who spent his whole life, he pastored, a big church, he pastored a great church down in Georgia. He was an editor of the Sword of the Lord. I mean, I mean a great soul winner. And there on his deathbed, before he closed his eyes in death, he looked at his friend Bobby Robertson and he said, and he said I just haven't done enough. I just haven't done enough. Oh, friend, can I tell you something? The very fact that you and I stand before God one day and give an account for the service we've done for Him, it ought to cause you and I to get busy serving Him. Friend, I want to remind you the great the, the, when it comes to our church, the church, the church itself was founded for the purpose of being the gospel witness to the world around us. Our job as a church, the main function of Bible Baptist Church is that you and I would go out in this world and share the gospel with people so they'll get saved and they'll get and, and they'll come to this church, we'll baptize them and they will disciple them. That's what we're here to do. That's the main function of the church itself. That's the call. That's what we call that the Great Commission. Hey, he said it not only in Matthew, but he he said it over there in Acts 1.8 that you and I have been called to go out and to serve him. And we ought to pray for one another that our eyes understand that. That our mind understands that. But more importantly, that our hearts understand that. To enlighten ourselves, to say, There's, he's coming soon. Brother Brian, I'll be honest with you, the more I look at the world around me, the more I think it just might not be very long. It's just, I mean, it could be uh, just another moment, a few more seconds. Hey, hey, I, I may not even make it, make it back to Kingdom, North Carolina to, to sit down and have a bowl of Captain Crunch tonight. Hey, I, I, who knows what's going to happen? But before he comes, I want to make sure that I go out of this world serving him, living for him. Because when I stand before him, I don't want to stand there empty-handed. I don't want to stand there and say, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I didn't do enough. And we ought to pray for one another. Put it on our prayer list. Call our names to mind that we'll have an understanding of the inheritance that's coming. We ought to pray for wisdom for one another. We ought to pray, <clears throat> we ought to pray for an intimate knowledge of the Lord for one another. We ought to pray about the inheritance of the Lord for one another. But can I just say this? We ought to pray we ought to pray about, for one another that we will understand the immensity of God's power in our lives. I like verse number 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us for to believe? According to the works of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ and which he raised from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth in all in all. 
You know, Paul here, his prayer, his last thing on his prayer list was that this church, the church in Ephesus, would understood, they understood the greatness of God's power to us. Can I just say, I want to remind you, God's power will transform our life. Hey, God, when he saved you and I, he didn't just save you and I to leave us like we were. He saved you and I to transform our life. And he does that through his power, through the wonderful, wonder-working power of God. Hey, can I tell you that the power of God, it's encouraging. The power of God, is enabling. The power of God is exciting. The power of God is effective. The power of God is endowing. The power of God is energizing. The power of God is exonerating. And the power of God is enduring. Can I just remind you, church, how we ought to pray. Hey, can I tell you something? You and I, can I just say we and I'll say we, we ought to spend time day by day that God's power would rest heavy on the lives of Bible Baptist Church. We ought to pray that when we walk through these doors, that God's power would be heavy inside of this church. Hey friend, I, I've been in churches before where God, was, where God was so far off and so distant and they sang the songs but the songs didn't do anything for me and they, and they shook the hands but the shaking of the hands didn't do anything for me and the preacher preached but it didn't do anything for me and I'll tell you why because the power of God had left out and they should have just wrote Ichabod above the door and shut down the, shut, shut the doors of the door because that church had no interest in God's power working oh friend, I, listen, I, you can tell by looking at me, I'm not much, hey I don't have much education, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a mountain boy with a, with a, with a decent with a little bit of knowledge. But friend, I'll tell you what I do have. Much more than understanding all the Greek and the Hebrew and every etymology of every word that's ever been written. I'll tell you what I want more. I want God's power on my life. I want God to reach every once in a while and touch me and say, son, it's all right. You go in that pulpit. I'll be with you. Hey, son, you go in that pulpit. I'll touch your heart. Hey, and can I tell you what I want? Hey, I want for y'all when y'all walk in here, that y'all walk in here and you've been prayed up and you pray for one another and you ask God to work and you ask God to move and God walks in with you and your spirit can bear witness with my spirit and we'll all just shout for a little while and we'll worship for a little while. We'll see sinners walk down this, this aisle every once in a while. We'll baptize every once in a while. We'll see people saved. We'll see lives changed. All because the power of God works inside of our church. Oh, friend, listen. <laughs> listen. <laughs> I just, I don't know what we're doing if we don't have God's power. We, we ought to pray for it. We don't we, I, I don't want to go through motions around here. I don't want to, I don't want to just, I mean, I like a program. Y'all know that about me. I like things that kind of move. But I don't have a program that's so big that God can't step in and do something he wants to do. Because God's power is more important than anything else. Hey, listen, I could preach all day long and have people walk down that aisle. But if God don't come with them and the Holy Spirit don't convict them, it didn't do them a bit of good. Hey, I, I, we could we could we could throw, we could have that baptistry full every week, and we could just throw people in there and dunk them in and dunk them out, and we'll throw them down the steps. But if God didn't change their life, all we did was get them wet. We didn't do them a bit of good. Oh, friend, we could we could sit people down. And we can, we can educate them biblically and we could, we could show them all the great, all the great stories and we can show them all the, we can show them all the history of the Bible. But if they're not saved and God hadn't transformed and changed their life, all we've given, given them is some knowledge with no transformation. We have to have God's power. Can I tell you something? I mean, I like what Paul said. He said, I want you to know. Okay, Ephesus, I want you to know about God's power. I pray for you every day, Ephesus, that you'll understand God's power. Bible Baptist Church, we ought to pray 
for God's power. We ought to pray that God, that, man, listen, I, I believe this with all my heart. I, I, I believe that anybody, anybody ought to be able to walk through those doors of that church, sit down in here, and be welcome here. But I also ought to believe they ought to feel something in here that's a little bit different than what's going on out there in that world. And it ain't the preaching, it ain't the choir, it ain't the special singing. It's the touch of God that God has put on this place to be a light in this world, to see people changed. We ought to pray for it, friend. When's the last time? When's the last time you really prayed for Bible Baptist Church? When's the last time you called to your mind the names of our church, the faces of our church? You said, Lord, give us wisdom. God, please give us wisdom. God, our church. God, I pray at the end of the day, Lord, you give Pastor Reggie some wisdom. Lord, I, hope it, I, hope, I, want, I want the agenda of Bible Baptist Church to be all about what you want. Lord, give us wisdom. When's the last time you prayed and you said, Lord, God, please, let us see you. Let us really know who you are. God, show up, be a part. And we prayed for the intimacy of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. When's the last time we prayed and said, Lord, help us to remember there's a day coming. We're going to stand before you. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help us. God, please help us to get busy. Help us to see the fact that you're coming soon and we get busy serving you. And when's the last time we prayed, God, let your power be manifested at Bible Baptist Church. Help us to see people saved, lives transformed. Help us to see your work. Help us, God, to see your power. That's the prayer ministry that you and I have here. But when's the last time we prayed for those things? His bow and eyes closed. Brother Brian's will come.